You ready? I guess. <laughs> All right. This is going to be fun. Sure. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the spooky films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about a little-known and underseen 1978 uh, sci-fi horror Halloween movie, The Varro Mission, which is also known as Teen Alien. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, as of this broadcast, you can find 1978's Teen Alien, a.k.a. The Varro Mission, on YouTube for free. If you really want to hate yourself. Which of the titles do you like more? Do I have to like one? <laughs> Which one do you hate less? Uh, well, I can tell you that when you Google things like Teen Alien, uh, lots of unrelated things to this movie uh, reveal themselves and potentially can put you on a watch list. Whereas the Varro mission is very distinctive. I don't think Varro has really been used in any sort of sci-fi or fantasy settings, as far as I'm aware, that would conflict with trying to get info on this movie. This movie. Yeah, I hate the Teen Alien title because I think it makes it sound like a different kind of movie, like a 1980s you know, horror sex comedy or something. But... This film's not that. So I like the Varro mission. That's also the VHS I have. So this got two releases on VHS, and I don't think it's had a release since. Uh, the first one, I think, was the Varro mission on Trend Video, which was a mogul subsidiary. And when I first got this in just like a lot of, of tapes on eBay, I had no idea what it was. I'd never heard of it before. I was like, the Varro mission, what is that? But Eventually, I, I watched it and found out. Uh, but the Teen Alien title was released by Prism, and I think that's a later release. Uh, but anyway, this is your first time seeing it, right? Thankfully. Will this be part of your Halloween tradition going forward? Generally speaking, I'm not big on rewatching films unless I am trying to expose someone new to them. And I feel like exposing this film to other people would be considered a felony in certain criminal jurisdictions. So this is, um, uh, if, if, you were if you just watched the movie for the first time because you wanted to listen to this episode, then you can thank me for spreading the vision of the Varro mission into more and more eyeballs. So I probably saw this two years ago, and it's been a how I've watched it every Halloween since. Um, and we'll get into all the reasons why I enjoy watching this movie. But it was directed by a guy named Peter Samelka, who never made another movie. It was written by Ed Yeats and Sherma Yeats, whose relationship I could not find, who also never made another movie. And there was only one person in the entire cast and crew to ever be involved in another movie. Do you know who it is? All right. Uh, I think it's going to be someone out of left field. I'm going to go with girl alien at the end of the movie. No, it's actually um, the guy who plays tiny. The guy in the gorilla costume. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So he was 
he was his name is Dale Engel, and he has uh, he acted in about 10 other movies, but he is best known as a sound editor. And he was the sound editor on another film that we covered on the show. I would not say it was one of the better sound editing jobs we've reviewed. He was the sound editor on The Executioner Part 2. <laughs> so I don't know what you want to do with that information, but I felt like it had to be communicated. My brain processed that information and just outputted nothing. There's just <laughs> there's nothing for me to say. <laughs> Yeah, so that he's the only one who got a career out of this. <laughs> so let me read the back of the box to you, and, and you tell me how well this describes the movie. Oh, no. First of all, on the front, it says, it says the title, and, then in, and it's a very confusing cover. It just has like um, a geometric shape on it with the, the text across the screen, and it says, an invasion from space. Did it really happen? That graphic designer was given the title and nothing else and told to make a fucking cover. Uh, yeah, it says in the late 1950s, the residents of a small Utah township reported strange happenings in the vicinity of their town. Some even reported seeing alien spaceships, but no one was ever able to confirm this, at least no one living. Now, after more than 25 years, the waiting is over, and a new generation is about to experience the horror of the Varro mission. And the guy in charge of writing the back of the box was also just told the title. I love that back. I, I love the whole like marketing of this movie, um, of the original release, not the Teen Alien release, because it really makes it seem like it, it reminds me of films like The Town That Dreaded Sundown, where it's, it's really presented to you as if this is a, a true story. And I, I don't know. I, I like it when movies do that. So I guess to have one positive life raft in the sea of despair we are about to voyage into, this film does feel very genuine, like an entire small town set aside their differences and came together for one common cause, the VAR mission. Now, whether that cause was worth the time and effort and self-sacrifice that was required to produce it, you know, uh, leave that to the viewer. But I think it's at least, a, it's really cool to see like an entire town pool their resources to create one thing that they can be like kind of, proud of <laughs> yeah like spoiler alert but that's what i really love about this movie and why i like it for halloween time because i as i've said in the past really do value that like traditional community uh like fall festival type celebration of halloween and I love the idea of a town of people coming together to make this movie. And that's pretty much what happened. They, they held a contest over the radio for the actors who would appear. And nobody was really paid anything, as far as I could tell. Uh, and it, it really was just like a group of kids who lived in this town were making a movie and doing all the components of the movie. And I just think that's really cool. 
even if the res- the result is not professional, I really enjoy it. That that is so wholesome, and I'm I'm gonna try to not be a negative Nancy, but it feels like I'm gonna be like euthanizing a terminally ill dog. That's okay. Some dogs need to go. <laughs> did you did you at least think the setting was really cool because they they have an actual old mill that they're filming in? Well, what small town doesn't have some old dilapidated structure that scares off children? Yeah, but I love those structures. Like I love going in and seeing those kinds of places. So uh, the fact that it was still standing and that um, it was in as good a shape as it was and they were able to make the movie in it, I, I just thought that was really cool. Do you think they actually destroyed it at the end? No, it was a model. Okay, I thought it was, but then I've also heard of situations where they've tried to time the scene in the movie with a building actually being de- destroyed. So I, w- I couldn't be 100% sure. They only show it for a second because the director knew that if they held on it too long, you would see it was a model, but it's a model. So what it says on the box aside... What this movie is really about is a group of teenagers from the the local high school in this small town who are competing to hold the best, what they they call it a spook alley, which is a term I'd never heard before. Have you ever heard anyone refer to a spook alley? No, but it sounds so innocent. (laughs) It's It's what today we call a haunted house or like a haunted attraction, like a maze that you walk through. I like the, the term spook house, which they also say. I've heard that before. But maybe Alley is like a regional thing to, to the west northwestern United States. I mean, if you just Google spook alley, then there's lots of things that pop up in terms of, you know, ideas for your spook alley. So it might probably just be like a, a western Utah thing. And since we're like East Coast boys... We just haven't been really exposed to it outside of this film. Well, then this film is performing a, a function in my life. Then, um, No, I, this movie is set during the fall. It looks like fall. You see the small town Halloween setting. Like, it's all great. Visually, it's great. I really appreciate it. All I'm saying is that if I heard someone in Florida say they're setting up a spook alley, I would just think it was something vaguely racist yeah (laughs) do you um do you like going to haunted house attractions before the pandemic yes uh yeah no i've i've went throughout i can't i couldn't give up on my my haunted mazes or houses whatever you want to call them the best one i ever went to is um nightmare new england up in new hampshire but I live in Richmond, Virginia now. We have four or five around that are like put on by local farms and things. And they're all really fun. It's it's like the highlight of my year. So I like seeing a movie about them. What was the one we went to um, like deep in the fucking woods? It was definitely 100% run by farmers. Yeah, that that one calls itself Red Vein Haunted House. It's in Ashland, Virginia. And yeah, you, they always have you walking through the woods. 
the, the, to give you an idea of what this place was like, they took construction equipment like backhoes and stuff and reappropriated them into being Halloween decorations, like large improvised animatronics. You might also be talking about uh, there's another one called Old Haunted Woods, something like that. But there, we have several around here that that lead you into the woods and have big animatronic things that come out at you. Anyhow, so I, I love seeing a movie about that. Let's play the trailer and then we can start talking about the story. What trailer? Oh, yeah, we have no trailer. No, but, um, no trailer. We, I think we should just play some music. Okay. All right. I think we just play some music and then we can play all the awful fucking clips you want throughout the episode. So I assume this was a song from like a local prog rock band. Uh, what do you think of it? This this is the best part of the film right here. Not only because the credits are running, but because this song goes in so fucking hard. Yeah, this it, I think this song is pretty fucking great. It's I, I'm not always for like symphonic prog rock. It's usually too like carefully constructed for me, but that's a jam. I, I grew up on video games, so I'm completely fine with electronic music. But uh, the music is probably the my. I'm I'm kind of torn between saying the best part and my favorite part. I, it's it's the it's the same. <laughs> it's the, the best part of this film. That said, that there is no, there is no <laughs> connection between. <laughs> I haven't even finished yet. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Go ahead. There is no consistency between the genres of music in this film outside of the intro is the lyricless version of what you just listened to. Every The only correlation is it sounds like everything was made on a Commodore 64. Outside of that, they completely have no uh, 
like nothing in common whatever there's not a theme when it comes to the music in this film that's what's strange to me is like the music is pretty good but it's not credited to any bands and i assume that's who played it was local bands um given that all the actors came from the local high school uh but on imdb the music is credited to phil davis and jeff osler who didn't compose anything else I assume that they were just doing the score, like the instrumentals in certain scenes. Uh, but I just find it weird that these bands wouldn't like want their name on this movie. So when you look at the credits, everything in this entire film is in the credits. Everything. Because this was a small town operation. Even the March of Dimes is credited. Um, there is a line in the credits that shows um, a love theme from the Varro mission sung by Steve K. Never mind that this one's actually Teen Alien. It still says in the credits from the Varro mission. So yeah, see, maybe, that was the original title. So maybe Steve K is who was actually singing? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But anyhow, so when this movie starts, we're given the stereotypical flashback to the hillbilly stereotype with his dog who has an encounter with aliens whoa whoa wait 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 we need to slow down for all that you gotta mention there's the pop-up the following occurred in the brighton canyon near the old mill in the late 1950s just so you know this really happened like this this was definitely a thing I'm glad you I'm glad we went over that because I I really appreciate it. I like that part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, we're basically treated to an alien, I'm assuming, looking through a window at this man making moonshine for no shit like four and a half minutes. That <laughs> that's the opener. There, there's no dialogue, there's no uh stylistic direction to make this memorable it's literally just watching this dude make moonshine in his kitchen for four and a half minutes the guy does talk to his dog a little bit yeah he does doesn't he yeah he, he when the room shakes because the the ufo has flown overhead he says like oh it's airplanes but yeah he doesn't say much no and then the ufo reveals itself to him <laughs> and if I interpreted the scene correctly, did they jack his moonshine? <laughs> That's what I thought. I wasn't sure, but it, because while it's flying overhead, his moonshine, we see it like fizz and turn white and then disappear. And I didn't know if that meant that they were like abducting it or if just the heat or electricity or something from the UFO evaporated it. Like at first I thought, oh man, are they cooking this man alive? That's that's fucking real. <laughs> and then nope, they just jacked this fucking alcohol. No, that alien I... specifically watched through the window the whole process and was like, now, now's the time. We gotta take it. This this is the right moment. I thought this whole whole opening scene was supposed to be comedic though. Like I think they were trying to be silly. Sure. Um, it has absolutely nothing to do with the film whatsoever. <laughs> this never comes back in any meaningful way. Well, they do talk about it because the the whole the whole start of the movie is that the, there's there's local legends about this old mill that it's haunted or that 
there were weird flashing lights. And so at some point, the owner of the old mill, Mr. Cranston, is explaining to our main character, Carl, that there have been stories told about it, including by this guy who said he saw, you know, describes the scene in the beginning. But of course, the witness is always drunk or mentally ill or somehow in some way considered unreliable. So no one believes him. But and so we jump to 20 years later after that. But the story does come up. And I, I figured it was just meant to show us that th- the legends have grown about this place over time. And that seems really believable to me. Like if you did have a building like this in your town, I could see there being ghost stories or UFO stories or whatever about it. We see another flashback when Mr. Cranston starts telling stories to like a couple of miners who are with their wolf. (laughs) Is it a wolf that they have? Was this a flashback? I thought it actually happened in like the the scope of this film like it happened real time no i didn't think so i thought this was supposed to be another flashback to one of the stories that was told about the old mill it's entirely possible um i was under the impression that this like actually happened modern day but yeah man they this dude has a it's probably not a full-blown wolf but it is definitely like 75 percent wolf its name is butch you can't get dogs like this anymore without having a special um, like certificate or something. You need like qualifications to own a dog like this now. And he just lets it run right up into a room with unknown dangers in it. Yeah. This is a designer dog, man. You can't just let this shit run around. Yeah. Uh, it was the 70s, whatever. But this scene's cool. Like we see a barn owl, which I love. Like I have a big one tattooed on my arm. I love barn owls so if i can see one in a movie that's a plus for me but we see the leaves are you know changing colors it's very much a fall movie it make it reminds me of fall and uh the the wolf dog is strangled or killed by something as lights flash i kind of got the impression the alien tore its head off oh that might have been i just remember we get multicolor light flashing I don't even know how it got up to this open window, but the dog (laughs) instantly goes in, sees it's not, we're not told it's an alien, but it's an alien. You see the hands. It's, it's it's the fucking alien. And it it instantly snatches the dog by the neck. And then we're treated to an off camera ripping noise. Um, So I'm pretty sure that dude just straight up decapitated the dog. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's just, really irresponsible pet ownership i don't know man if if i had a dog that was like 75 percent wolf i would not let it go jumping through random windows and a building that's supposed to be abandoned with fucking christmas lights inside wouldn't do it well i'm sorry that the movie was not more responsible thank you with it thank you i appreciate that once we're like in the present day for good we open on like the quintessential Halloween scene where there's a group of kids who are sitting in a field carving pumpkins and the group of high schoolers are talking about how uh, they, they want to build a spook house, but they don't have anywhere to, to get it. 
And so Mr. Cranston gives Carl the key to the old mill and says, you should use the old mill. And there's a little bit back and forth about like it, whether it's too scary or too dangerous or people will risk coming out there. But it's just a setup to explain why this group of kids is going to build their spook house in the old mill. Do you think that this is sufficient story for a movie? I want to know what was determined first, whether this should be a haunted house film or if this should be an alien film. I feel like that the writer duo probably decided they wanted to do one of them and then decided afterwards to link the other. I thought it could have very easily been determined by what props they happened to have. Oh, okay. Because we see a few costumes throughout the movie. Like there's a gorilla costume at one point. We see various masks. Um, And I was under the impression that they, like these were literally the masks in their local Halloween store or in their high school drama department. And they were just trying to figure out how do we use the resources we have to tell a story. And they had this alien mask. And so one kid was like, well, why don't we make the alien the villain in the movie? And then it just developed from there. That's how I imagine it happening. It might not have really happened that way, but that's how I'm going to choose to imagine it happened. I will say that despite the rather large gap between these two topics. They happen to bridge both of them together in the screenplay relatively well. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's inter- it has internal logic. Like, they come up with a plot that works to marry the two. And that is the best thing you could say about the script. Well, I don't know how much of it is the script's fault, and how much of it is that you just have non-actors who literally sound like they're just nonchalantly reading cue cards? I am positive that they could not record audio on scene, so everybody is dubbed, and that is why it sounds so distinctive. <laughs> <laughs> it really does sound like the whole movie sounds red, right? <clears throat> So here's the thing about this movie. If Teen Alien, a.k.a. the Varro mission, were made today, frame by frame, like detail by detail, the way it was done now, it would have been probably perceived as one of the greatest parody films of all time. (laughs) But this was 1978. All of this is 100% genuine. Which is what which is what makes me love this movie. If it wasn't genuine, it wouldn't work because I hate that ironic shit, right? Like ironically bad films or self-aware bad films. It, it never works for me. But this, I can even overlook all of its badness and ineptitude just because I'm charmed by it. And I like that these people are sincere. They're really giving it their best. One thing I do not like in, I was going to say films like this, but I think just in general, or when you have two groups of kids that have really trivial beef among them. (laughs) (laughs) And this is no exception. You have 
two high school cliques clashing over who can make the best haunted house. And I'm not talking about like, you know, it's competitive, right? Like some like healthy competition can, you know, produce a really great haunted house. This is like there's a group of kids who are willing to commit felonies to make sure that the other house doesn't get started. Exactly. I was going to say, like, there's legal transgressions here. But no, so the group, the group is trying to sabotage our protagonist haunted house because they were lucky enough to get the old mill. But I want to talk about the scene where Carl first convinces his friends to do it with him. And all of his friends are scared because they've heard the stories about the the flashing lights in the sky or the ghost stories or whatever. And uh, Carl gets really aggressive. He's like, were you there? Did you hear those noises? And he just insists that they all do it with him. Yeah, Did- hey, okay, Scully will do it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's two things worth pointing out about this scene. One is that we see a strange kid eavesdropping on them. A like really blonde, pale, like half albino. Right. <laughs> and... uh can you imagine the casting call for this? Like, hey, who do we want to to be a human in disguise? Oh, I know. Let's go get Jonathan, the half albino. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the opposite of logic, right? Because if you were an alien and you wanted, you could disguise yourself as anyone which we eventually find out, that's at least what he says, that he can disguise himself as anyone. Wouldn't you try to be like the most normal looking person possible? How does this thing know, know what is considered normal? Uh, it says it's been around for many decades observing. Oh, apparently he didn't observe very well. <laughs> so we see this kid eavesdropping, but we don't yet know that he is going to be our teen alien. It, it's you know as soon as you hear this man talk you're like wow you know this is still bad acting but it has a tinge of non-human feeling to it like it, it, it's not even obscured like it's it's clear that somebody is trying to act like an alien and doing it badly but at least they're trying <laughs> But the other thing I really liked about this part is that they all all the problems that came that come up where they're like, oh, we don't know how we're going to do that. They decide that they're just going to dump it all on this fat kid named Tiny. (laughs) Right. So so they're like, oh, well, he can carry all our stuff. And oh, he looks scary even without a costume. So he'll help us out a lot. It's yeah, not a- and like tr- truly fat phobic 1970s fashion, they they really go ham on this guy. Yeah, but and I don't know if this is a positive or a negative, but this guy doesn't act like he's upset. He acts like he's in on the joke. Well, because he has to laugh at everything, otherwise it hurts. Yeah, he's the traditional like uh, comic relief fat kid. Has no self esteem, so he has to be funny to fit in. <laughs> right. Not that he, by the way, is that fat. No, but this is the 70s, right? (laughs) We had this issue in Switchblade Sisters where they... Oh, yeah. (laughs) That Pudge character was like the normal size of a person nowadays. Yeah, no, you're totally right. 
but it when I saw him after they had talked him up as being so giant and so monstrous, when I saw him, I was a little taken aback. He does have an, a, a very ill-advised mustache going on. This was before corporations were able to streamline shoving sugar into everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, so the rival kids are not happy about this. They're not happy that they got the old mill. They're not happy that Tiny is, quote, a natural monster and will help them win. But the, the alien kid tells them that he'll help them and make sure that the other team doesn't win, that he knows a way in. Who are you? <laughs> I've been here for a week. Get, wait, I, I want to play this. I'll play this because I don't think we can do it justice. Tony Anderson. Yeah, it's me. Who are you? What do you want? I'm new school. I'm not from this area. I overheard you talk about the old mill. Yeah, Carl sure is lucky. Seems he's gonna try to win that prize. What do you mean, try? Well... If we want to win, we've got to stop them using that old mill. I think I can help you. They seem very determined. I know it the old place without a key. I think we should make sure the place is as haunted as it looks. I'm sure we can come up with a whole collection of little surprises. We cannot possibly <laughs> articulate just how exaggerated everyone's facial structure like the uh, faces facial are during during any of this any any part of this film that girl makes the weirdest fucking face at the end there they told her to look cartoonishly evil beyond yeah. beyond any believability uh, i'll tell you what all right so these kids were probably at like in like the high school drama program and i bet their teacher would always tell them like overact so everyone in the audience can see and that's just the approach they took to this movie. Let's talk about the old mill. What did you think about it as a setting? Looks great. Um, it's old. It's a mill. It's clearly falling apart. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if members of the staff or the acting crew got tetanus. It, it's really cool. But I also think that the, the filmmakers made some cool decisions in terms of like decorating it like they the the main room is all blue black um blue backlit like the monster's house and there's the cobweb stretched all over everything like i think they does they set it up well to the extent they set anything up i like when movies i might have said this a couple episodes ago i like it when movies feel like their sets have been decorated from the spirit Halloween store. Like that. So, so I like that about this movie. Bro, was spirit even a thing in 1978? No, but <laughs> the, the drugstore costumes or, you know, whatever. One thing about this bit, this main room, when the kids get inside and they start talking about what they're going to do, one kid says we can use the stairs as a giant slide. And they all say, yeah, that's cool. What? Why, am, why is that part of a spook house? That lost me. So you could make a slide and have people go down it? Because this was before America had a huge litigation problem with uh, people getting hurt. Uh, 
Yeah, I was just thinking about it from the the perspective of if I if I was running a spook house, right? My goal is to have people walk easily through it so that I can get the next group walking through. And if every person has to slide down a giant slide, that would seem to be not just dangerous, but also just disruptive to the running of your spook house. Theoretically, it could get people out faster. It's faster to slide down like three flights of stairs than it is to walk it down it. Maybe it's just that I'm a 37-year-old man and I'm like concerned with safety and uh, <laughs> I'm judging the actions of high school kids. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> but they find a, a, a closet full of like weird mannequins they kind of remind me of the mannequins from Taurus Trap. But what did you think of these? It's all right. I mean, they're later revealed to be part of the alien's process for shifting its shape. Yeah. I don't I, see. This is the kind of thing where I think they probably had these mannequins lying around for some reason. And they had to figure out how to weave them into the plot. Because why not use something if you've got it? I mean, from a from a lore standpoint, it makes sense. It's part because again, it's it's used as part of the special effects that is part of the the aliens' lab transformation. Now, whether or not they just had a bunch of mannequin parts left over from that sequence and decided to toss them in, or if they found the mannequins at the house and decided to incorporate it into the sequence, whatever, it doesn't matter. I think it's especially cool when it's like they've it, they've they have this collection of things and you've got to you figure out what kind of story you can plug them all into i i don't know it's like a cool creative writing exercise i would enjoy doing that and uh so maybe that's just how i like to imagine it i want to play this clip real quick because if i remember right there was some music here okay it's rosie come on I'm what like I have this on mute in the background and I'm just like, oh, I remember there was music during this part. I remember there's like a there's like a cheesy montage of the kids putting the spook house together and the the music sounds kind of like what we just played. It's like Moog synthesizer stuff, like early Wendy Carlos silly stuff. I did not like this music in the movie. Get the rest of these things set up so Buzz can start on the cemetery. I feel like I'm in Dracula's castle. At least. What is your blood type, my dear? That's enough of that. Yeah, it's, see, I hate <laughs> that stuff. Uh, but that's what I'm talking about. Like, compare that to the opening and end credits of this film. Yeah, that's why I think it was probably just like whoever they happened to know could do a song for the movie. And maybe this, you know, instrumental stuff was 
done by someone fooling around with an er early synthesizer. Like that's what I imagine. What's crazy to me is that the very final night where they're trying to put everything together, they're all wearing their costumes. Why would you just not fucking change after you're done doing all this manual labor? They're wearing their costumes from the very beginning. In fact, they make a whole joke of it where one guy is wearing like a suit of armor and he's trying to nail something, but he can't pick up a hammer. And so finally he just uses his metal arm to, to nail it in. And it's like, I, I was wondering the same thing. Why are they wearing their costumes now? But one other thing they find are some bones. One kid says they might be Sasquatch bones and another thinks they're dinosaur bones, but they keep dropping them and saying like how strange it is. Why are they dropping them? I couldn't figure this out. No one fucking knows, man. No, no one knows. <laughs> the actors don't even know. <laughs> All right. I'm glad it wasn't just me. I thought I was missing something really simple. If there's a... The Varro are so anti-Earthling that they just repulse. It repulses just the touch. The dead bones repulse the touch of Earthlings. Uh, perhaps that's true. Perhaps that's it. There's a really dumb scene where Tiny and the guy in the suit of armor get stuck going through a passageway. It's, it's really, it's, these scenes are really silly. I thought you were a gorilla, but you're a jackass. <laughs> but yeah, they find a secret tunnel that's full of like glowing red light. And it leads to this room that looks kind of like a science fiction set. And uh, what do they call it? They call it a lab. There's random pictures of people hanging on the wall. There's a, there's a scary skeleton hanging in one corner. That like freaks one of the girls out. And then there's like this transformation chamber, like straight out of the fly. What did you think of this room? Was it, was it a surprise? I was trying to figure out why the portraits were on the wall. In yeah. retrospect, it seems really obvious, but I, I didn't put it together. I actually think this is one of the weirder and maybe more clever things about the movie is we ultimately find out that each of these portraits is there so that the alien, can, the Varro, can transform into it because they're like the bounty hunters in, in the Critters movies where they, they have to look at something and then they transform into it. Well, they're not just photographs. On the back of each picture frame, there's like a, a science fiction floppy disk that they can use to put into the computer. Yeah, you're like browsing a catalog and you're like, ah, yes, this is who I want to be today. Yeah, I called it a floppy disk in my notes too. But as soon as I realized what the pictures were for, I thought once again, like, and you picked that previous body, <laughs> right? Like you chose to turn into that one. So I, uh, yeah, I found that, I found that really funny, but this is all gets very confusing because I can't tell whether it's happening over one night or several nights, but in, in multiple kids are, are missing at different points. I don't know. This all becomes a blur to me in the middle of the movie. And this, this is unfortunately um, where the film starts to 
really lose. Well, definitely a loss to me. I'd imagine it's where it loses most of its audience. Is that the first thirty minutes starts off like really strong and and incredibly cheesy, and I mean like super extra cheesy way, and even with the bizarre acting and weird audio, <laughs> it it really has its own charm. But then when it turns into a bunch of kids fumbling into the dark for like 40 minutes is it's kind of hard to pay attention. It's really easy to, to lose focus here. Yeah, I, we're in agreement, actually. I think this is the worst part of the movie. They're they're doing all this in their costumes, which makes it seem like the, the spook house is about to have to open. But I also think it's supposed to take place a few days in advance, like before Halloween. So the uh, contest can be judged. I don't know. It's it's strange, but they they're doing something because people keep calling the police and I'm not sure exactly what they're calling the police to say, but we keep seeing scenes of the sheriff and his receptionist or the other officers are coming to him saying someone else is calling about the old mill. All right. So let me um, let me try to shed some light on what is clearly the darkest part of this film really if you if you watch this on youtube right and you and you highlight the the scroll bar and just keep going right all you see is just blue just everything is blue and then the red lab and then back to blue and it's blue for like probably 60 percent of this this movie it's just blue the color blue if you're one of those people who feel like if you stare too much at a color, you get depressed, then don't watch this film. I watched I watched the VHS called The Varro Mission, and mine was not that bad. Um, it was it was pretty clear. Like there were definitely some shadowy scenes where the lighting wasn't good, where you're kind of like, whose arm is that exactly? But for the most part, it was it was fine. It it, it definitely wasn't as monotonous as you're you're describing it. But after the lab is discovered, um, this is when yo, I don't I don't nobody's name in this movie. This is when uh, high school click number two kicks their plan in action with the help of Teen Alien, where <laughs> their master plan is to dress up in uh, like foreboding monk robes and slowly start to felony kidnap every single kid they can ambush and they literally tie up these kids and throw them into another part of the mill so that they cannot finish their haunted house in time yeah that's (laughs) (laughs) like they could be working on their own spook house instead they're when is theirs gonna get made yo i didn't even consider that Maybe they got theirs done in like the first couple days and they're like, all right, now that ours is done, we have an entire day to ourselves to sabotage. Uh, perhaps. Uh, this this lurking around in the dark goes on for a while where they just start slowly picking, <laughs> start slowly picking off um, nondescript teenagers of high school click number one. And the the alien is kind of inadvertently discovered, I guess. There's a, a scene where one of the kids, I think it's Carl, sees a spot on the teen alien's face where the skin seems to be coming loose. And uh, he asks him about it. 
Oh, it's only you. Thought I heard something up here. You guys just don't give up, do you? Hey, what is that on your face? <laughs> I was hoping you'd not come back here. Is this some kind of a joke? It's none of your business. I have been here many years, hiding my identity in this human disguise. Do you know who I am? Where I come from? I, I am Avaro, a word from our galaxy meaning traveler. My planet is a world much like yours, but we also suffer from great population expansion. Too many, too fast. We must expand. Your world is our only option. <laughs> take over this planet to do so we must eliminate all humans one by one because you're going to destroy this beautiful earth anyway with your wars pollution and so-called civilization some people think that one day we will come they see our ships but we are already here there are thousands of us all over this planet all hiding in old buildings like this one we can transform ourselves with these machines into any person we choose, even you. I don't know how you cannot love that scene. It would be easier if the 40 minutes leading up to it were more interesting. Well, I think that this would be, I think this film is not very widely seen. I think both of the VHS releases are like super rare. And if you look on IMDb at the reviews, Almost all of them are written by people who claim to have been part of the cast <laughs> or part of the crew, which suggests to me that not many people beyond the cast and crew ever watched it. Um, but it is on YouTube. So anyway, I, I think that if more people had saw this, it would be like a cult classic. I think people would would like it would have been on Mystery Science Theater. It is that kind of movie emulating this kind of line delivery intentionally feels like it would be a monumental task like shakespearean acting performance would be required to discipline your mental state to sound like that <laughs> it is so unnatural like it, it i don't know how they managed to do it <laughs> It's it's been a very long time since I've been in elementary school, but I have a vague memory. At least I hope this is real and I'm not just like fucking fabricating it in my head of kids learning to read and they don't predict when the end of a sentence is going to be. So they just have this tone of voice that makes it sound like it will never end and then it ends. But then it keeps going that is what the entire dialogue of this film sounds like yep that's fair but let's talk about the. <laughs> think that's it yeah yeah sounds fair yeah moving yeah. on <laughs> let's talk about the actual logic of this like so he's supposed to be destroying the humans one by one but he's really just been hiding out in this old mill for 20 years at least did he say anything about destroying people one by one? Yeah, he said that 
their only option to take over Earth and destroy humans one by one. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that's necessarily his mission and that it's ongoing right now. I always interpreted this film as a spy cell of Varro aliens was un very uh, unwittingly uncovered by a bunch of teenagers. And now that they're exposed, they basically have to wrap up and move the operation until it is time to eventually start the human extermination. Oh, that makes sense. I could buy that reading. Because it doesn't not that that really matters for the sake of logic in this film, but killing people one by one over a long period of time, like that ain't going to work. Well, it like, never seemed very intelligent. No, but when we, when, whenever you look at um, the reasons behind alien invasion, it's usually resource acquisition, right? Or, or colonization. So that all tracks. I just got the impression that the great cleansing of the human plague hadn't started yet and that it was required to have more Varro on Earth before they would enact that plan. I am probably also reading way too much into this. No, I like you've answered so many of my questions. So I'm I'm really thankful you've added some comprehensibility to this <laughs> to this story. <laughs> so thank you. So while all this is going on and people are calling the police, the police figure out that Mr. Cranston owns the mill and so they call him and he's like, "Oh, there's nothing to worry about. You know, I let the kids use it." But can we talk about Mr. Cranston for a moment? Oh, do you think he's a Varro in disguise? Oh, well, he may be because we find out at the end of the movie that like the whole town is. Not the entire town, but a reasonable portion that volunteered to show up at the end of the film. <laughs> so I do think that he's a very odd character because he's... He's a very well-dressed Santa Claus type man who drives a British luxury Rolls Royce and for some random reason owns this mill that's never explained. And most of the town doesn't even know he owns it. So I just don't know what's going on with him. He's probably just the real life Mormon king of this small town. <laughs> and they just gave him a bit role in the film. He when when we see him in his bed, he has like blue silky sheets. It's really <laughs> strange. It's the kind of sheets I imagine like Donald Trump has, like somebody who wanted to who was like cosplaying wealthy would use. That's what it made me think of. I mean, the the color matches the rest of the film. Blue is the pivotal theme of the Varro mission. So my my copy is not that bad. I don't even remember. The only part I remember being like lit in blue was the inside of that main room of the, the mill. And I thought that that was a stylistic choice. All right. So there's this part where Carl, our main kid, is hiding in like this wire mesh cage and the alien is trying to get at him through it. This This is... I don't know. This is really pitiful because it's almost like they're trying to do what Ridley Scott does in Alien, where the alien is like 
clawing through things to get to one of the characters. Um, but that it, that's just not what they ended up with. We haven't mentioned that the alien is essentially just a dude with a rubber mask and some rubber gloves. Yeah, and it's one of those like gray style masks with the big bubble eyes. It it doesn't look remotely real. No, not not at all. Um, so let's just get that out there. And what what is he wearing? Like a turtleneck? <laughs> <laughs> just to hide the seam of the mask, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, at one point. Mike, who is the this little kid who's been hiding out in a casket, I think he fell asleep in there. And does, do, we, do we even need to talk about this kid? Well, I was just going to say that he's the one that spray painted the alien's eyes. But no, otherwise we do not need to no, mention him. It's like Carl's little brother that he's forced to bring along to the to the haunted house building. I'm sorry, this the spook alley building. And uh, at some point for plot reasons where he's been hidden like the whole time he pops out and saves Carl by spray painting the alien in the eyes. I've never been sprayed in the eyes with spray paint. I've been maced before <laughs> twice. Um, I cannot imagine getting sprayed in the eyes with spray paint and then just walking away. No, but see, he, he has these like reptilian eyes, you know, and I always thought they had like an extra clear eyelid. And so I just imagine their eyes sort of like, plastic containers with the eyes underneath which I is what the, what it looks like what is it like a, a reticulating membrane or some shit oh, yeah. i'm not a biologist <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was envisioning so he was just able to wipe that shit away wow okay <laughs> yeah and carl beats it over the head some and they manage to escape and Shortly after that is when we see the alien take the floppy disk off the back of a picture and it transforms into a like a brunette woman. I don't know. How would you describe his new form? Who knew that uh, Utah in the late 1970s would be so open with gender fluidity? I know this is um, this is early queerness here. This is an. An unheralded milestone in queer cinema. He goes from awkward, half-albino teenager, male teenager, to, as you're saying, like, brunette Avon model. (laughs) 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 And it seems like she missed the note on the the acting (laughs) consistency of this film. I think she actually has the most... um, well-read lines of the whole film. The, well, the delivery is actually um, unbelievable because it's not the same awful quality as everyone else's. Which is weird because it's the alien. So if he was especially awkward before, he should still be especially awkward. And see, that's why I'm not sure if he was actually trying to pretend to be an alien. <laughs> earlier in the film because here it just goes completely out the window or maybe this was just a failure on the director's part to make her sound or force sounding like a really bad book on tape i don't know no do you do you, here's the real read okay okay the alien was uncomfortable in its male skin <laughs> only now that it's in its female skin can it can it truly express itself and feel comfortable to showcase its emotions. And 
the fact that everybody else in the movie also has such wooden line readings suggests that all of us are repressed. And it it just takes a change in gender perspective to free ourselves. That's what's going on here. I I am absolutely certain that was the director's intention. Thank you. <laughs> I I am we're on the same page now. What did you think of the special effects when the alien transformed into the the female character? It's kind of it's kind of trippy. It's all right. You know, they this was before CGI, so they had to use a lot of uh, lighting tricks to show the actual transformation process. And there's a lot of complicated stages, like they switch from actor to actor and prosthetics to the mannequin stuff we were seeing before and there's a lot of liquid being used like melted wax maybe uh to to sh- kind of simulate the the growing of skin and flesh on the uh, exterior of the varro um this this was a pretty cool part of the film I, I like how they showed this with what i'd imagine is a shoestring budget yeah, I thought it was pretty impressive. I, I read in one of the reviews on um, IMDb, the, he said that he he created this special effect of the lights by hanging a turntable upside down and gluing cups to plastic cups to it and putting different colored lights inside of the cups. And that's how they got the flashing disco effect over top of the changing alien. So I I like seeing stuff like that, like the ways people came up with to to achieve a special effect without money or experience or expertise. But when she pops out of this uh, test tube chamber, she has no hair. She's completely pale. I, I did like this detail because it shows that there go there's more into this disguise than just you know, pop it in the floppy disk, right? Like they come out, they have a general shape, but then they still have to wig, clothe, and it's like shape their face a little bit just to get the overall appearance of the disguise to a, a reasonable level. No, I thought that was cool too. Like it, I think it, she's it, drawing on her eyebrows when she gets to the mirror. Yeah. No, it caught me off guard at first when... I was like, was the hair going to grow in now? Because I expected her to come out matching the photo or the painting or the photograph, whatever it is. But no, it, it, then I was like, oh, no, she has to further modify to like pass. I thought that was cool. Once she runs out to confront Carl, who is sitting in the back of a police car and is the one who has like seen her transform we, we should add that the reason the police actually decided to show up is because some of the kidnapped children who managed to get free um, reported that incident to the police. So now they're like, oh, I guess we have to show up. Yeah, the sheriff especially seems really lazy. He never gets up. He's, he's just sitting at his chair. He has a bag of like KFC or something, and he's just directing his deputies, I guess, reluctantly to go respond to stuff i think at one point someone's like yeah it looks like you should really go down there he's like yeah hey tom i need you to put three cars <laughs> 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 like I, i'm not getting up 
Well, what I thought was really weird about the alien now in the female form is she runs out to confront Carl, who's in the back of the police car, and she's trying to force him to take a pill. She's like, don't you feel sick? Like, doesn't your head hurt? This would make it feel better, right? And he's like, no, I don't need it. This is like, this is desperate pushing. This is this is uncomfortable to watch for me. Understandably, after what he just witnessed, Carl is in a very emotionally vulnerable, exhausted state of mind. Uh-huh. He's actually in the passenger seat of this patrol car when the woman Varro comes by. And there might have actually been a small window where if maybe she was dressed more professionally, she could have just been like, here, take this. You'll feel better. And he might have bought it. Yeah. But, you know, she's dressed like an office woman in the middle of the <laughs> woods by this haunted mill. So she doesn't come off as being credible. No, but I would. I you, know, just... you know, there are some guys who would be like, oh, pretty girl. Here, I will take your pill. But he doesn't <laughs> fall for that. No, I guess so. She. It, it just alarmed me when. It, it seemed especially awkward when after he said no several times, she started to wrestle with him and just say, take it, take it, take it. I was like, this is ridiculous. She's tra- she's transgressed any level of believability as a normal human now. Yeah, but think about it. Avaro is powerful enough to rip the head off a dog wolf. Presumably, she'd be able to force a pill down his throat. Yeah, but she she seems unconcerned about the police officers who are only a few feet away that somehow never notice her. I was really confused by that. Yeah, they I think they actually goes, hey, who was that? And he's like, I don't know. And then didn't say anything about the pill. <laughs> well, we do find out that once the police car with uh, Carl in it leaves, um, another police officer says he's going to stay behind and he turns out to be Avaro as well. And him and the, the woman, the teen alien, caucus for a second and then all of these townspeople come up the drive revealing themselves to be, it's like an invasion of the body snatchers moment, right? What do you think of this? It's on brand. It's on brand for what? This movie is trying to portray. I'm not sure why it takes an entire village to burn down an old mill, but I guess it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's a hell of a visual for a small town film. Yeah, to I guess. Incorporate the entire you know population in the shot. And it, I guess they have to burn it down because their lab has been discovered. It really feels like when you have that many people with you, you can just, I don't know, put the lab in the back of a U-Haul, keep going. But nope, rather burn everything down and have to rebuild this very complicated scientific machine. Yeah, because the police seem totally uninterested, right? They're, the one officer says, well, I guess we'll have to come back tomorrow and get these kids together to find out what really happened. But it shows no interest in exploring the place right then. Typical American law enforcement. I thought it would be different in a small town, Leland. <laughs> Well, maybe if these children were part of a major corporation law enforcement that, that would give funding to their department, they would be taken more seriously. Ah, perhaps. So anyway, that's the end of the film. They they walk off and the uh, the alien girl hitchhikes out of there. Do you want to 
give final thoughts and ratings out of four? I <laughs> I watched this movie on my couch late Saturday night alone with my cat, all alone safe for my cat. And I have never felt more in my 30s until that very moment. <laughs> what am I doing with my life? <laughs> yeah, Leland even texted me. I can't get this time back. I can't get this time back. It's gone forever. Maybe in the future, you'll look back on it as having enriched you in some way. The only enriching part of this film is in the first 30 minutes and the absolutely baller credit music at the end. And I suppose that stellar moment of acting that we played earlier would, will also um, will also never leave me like some sort of deep-seated trauma. I will always think of that scene when I feel uh, when, when I want to wonder when I want to wonder what an alien would act like in human skin. I said this earlier, but a lot of the things in this film that are just so natural, like so wholesomely put into the script and the acting and the set design and the costuming, it's all genuine in this film. But if it were something that came out now, it would be like one for one, a painstaking parody where the details had to be manufactured with such pinpoint precision to find this aesthetic i'm not really a big fan of like tim and eric and and all that associated self-aware badly designed shit <laughs> like that humor just doesn't appeal to me probably because i'm not like on three types of narcotics like every night but this film feels like it would be a huge inspiration to anyone trying to emulate this feeling whether that be like you're trying to get that small town production value for a film tv set public broadcasting whatever this is like grade a source material for anyone who wants to create anything of that nature without just you know ripping off tim and eric and whoever else does that stuff you know the whole the whole adult swim lineup of comedy in that brand yeah i've never been a fan of that stuff my wife really loves tim and eric has she seen this i don't think so you should show her this film don't tell her anything going into it let her come to that conclusion herself i think she'd find it boring She's not as tolerant of low budgets and non-actors as I am. Well, speaking of tolerance, I felt socially pressured to finish this film. <laughs> I think I would have, if I was watching this on my own, I would have probably turned it off about the halfway point. To not be a complete negative, Nancy, I do think it's incredible that this was created by an entire village's effort. I just don't really appreciate the result outside of a handful of scenes from this film. I can't recommend this for like a regular viewing experience on that front. One star. It's not as bad as Frozen Scream because I can at least remember scenes from this film and I don't remember shit about Frozen Scream outside of the one woman's accent. 
but uh it does feel like i'm i'm kicking a puppy yeah i i'm under no illusions that this is a well-made film i i'm it's a bad movie i'm gonna give it a low score but i really enjoy it and the reason is that i've lived in small towns i've visited small towns in halloween like Towns like Keene, New Hampshire are amazing. They're the kind of town that, you know, you see in this movie and they, they really celebrate Halloween. They do things like compete over who can come up with the best spook house. And I think that that was especially true a couple of decades ago when this film was made. And I really, I'm really interested in that and appeals to me and it, I enjoy seeing it. And that's kind of how I feel about this movie that I'm watching the local high schoolers use the Halloween decorations that they have access to, to make a spook house. And they wove in a cool alien storyline because they had a like spaceship prop or something. And I'll watch that. Like I'm, I'm down to watch all kinds of horrible shit. That's genuine. I like public access type stuff. I like, old um like christian moralizing videos talking about the evils of halloween i like all that stuff because at least i can see visions of halloween and i think that this is true of a lot of people who are into the kinds of things that we're into so anyway this movie really hits all those buttons for me i just like seeing the cheap halloween decorations used as props in the movie Like, I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing the rubber masked alien. And on top of that element, we get some really, like, humorous, ridiculous scenes, like the one we played a few minutes ago. So, but it's not well-made. It's not well-directed or acted or dubbed. It's the lighting is not good. The sound quality is not good. There's really no metric of film evaluation that would give this, uh, uh, on which this would get a positive score, right? Maybe the music, maybe some of the music. So with all that said, um, I'm going to give it a one and a half just because I do have love for it and I will be watching it every Halloween, even if it's a bad movie. I will say that there there is definitely a sufficient amount of Halloween in this film. It and fits it the, the best thing you can say, it fit the theme of what we're aiming for. And next week's will as well. Next week we're going to watch the 1995 Halloween horror film Jacko. This is another movie that feels like the the members of a small town came together and collaborated on something but it's more professionally made and it's got some real actors in it and uh i it's a fun time i won't say it's a good movie but it's definitely a fun time and it'll give you lots of halloween feels and it's available on youtube so if you haven't seen jacko uh definitely check it out it you'll appreciate having watched it in the halloween season and uh, join us next week. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. Leland, any last words? Thank you for your continued support. Awesome. Have a good week, everybody.